From the moment a child starts driving, often as parents, we're faced with our biggest fear, the fear that our child gets into a car accident. Despite that fear, most parents never have to live with that reality. But what happens when a parent is told their daughter died in a car crash, but they never get a call from the police, they don't get to bring the body home unless they are cremated, and to this day, they still don't have the whole story of what actually happened that night. In today's episode, I will share the story of Zakira Kemp and attempt to unravel the lies and fill in the missing facts, shining a light on a case that just doesn't add up. I'm Stephanie Morham, and this is Wicked Ever After. Since this also goes on YouTube, there's a lot of words I cannot say, such as sexual assault, sexual abuse, rape. So in those moments, you might hear me on the podcast say S-A. So I just wanted to give a heads up that... As you're listening, um, you might hear something a little bit different, and that's only because I want to be able to post this on YouTube. Please consider clicking the thumbs up button on this episode to get the story out. Also, please subscribe to my YouTube channel or podcast, depending where you're listening. It really does help the algorithm when you like, subscribe, and share. And if you want to see my face and you're listening on my podcast, you want to see my reactions, head over to YouTube. And lastly, I have Invisalign, so if I mispronounce a word, I'm apologizing in advance. Zakira Kemp was born on November 18, 2001, in Starksville, Mississippi, to mom, Jolanda Kemp. Her older brother, Tyler, was the big protector, always looking out for Zakira from the moment she was brought home after her birth. There was no father in the picture, so with Jolanda being a single mom, the three of them were super, super close. Jolanda described her daughter as being so lovable from the moment she was born. She talked about how she knew she was pregnant with Zakara before it showed on any tests. She had to beg her own doctor for an ultrasound because she just had a feeling that she was pregnant. Jolanda said that this was so like Zakara. She had a way of making her presence known before she even came into the world and for the rest of the time that she was here. She said that her personality and kind soul made it easy for her to win the hearts of everyone she knew. When the kids were young, Jolanda moved them to Austin, Texas, leaving Mississippi behind, and the kids seemed to really thrive, especially Zakara. When Zakara was a teen, she began to work with the Austin Angels, which is a nonprofit organization which pairs mentors and volunteers with foster children to offer them much-needed support outside of the home. She was also the president of the Honors Society at her school and was very passionate about the relationships she formed with her peers in that program. While most kids her age were out doing normal teen stuff, Zakara spent her time helping others with her volunteering and working with troubled youth. Her big heart is clearly on display with all the things that she was involved with. She had a way of making others comfortable and feel safe, and people said that She made them feel like they were special and cared for. However, occasionally, this came at a high cost for her, as she would often put her friends, family, and the kids at her job before herself, sweeping her own needs under the rug. She would often put her own needs aside to please others, but overall, she seemed happy and fulfilled in her work, spreading her light everywhere she went. When Zakara started applying for colleges, her main goal was to care for her mom. It seemed she wanted to pay her mom back for all the years of sacrifice Jolanda had made as a single mom. 
Jolanda, however, always laughed and said, quote, that's my job. I take care of you. I'll give up my dreams and everything so you don't have to, end quote. Jolanda said that her kids always knew they were her first priority no matter what. While Zakara loved working with the Austin Angels, her ultimate dream was to start her own business. Jolanda supported her daughter 100% in her dreams, knowing that with her ambitious streak, there was no doubt she'd make it. After graduating high school, Zakara enrolled at Prairie View A&M University in Prairie View, Texas. Prairie View is about 45 minutes outside of Houston, Texas, and about a two and a half hour drive from her mom's home. She was excited about college and decided to major in management to help her achieve her dreams of owning her own business. In the summer of 2022, Zakara was about to start her junior year at PVAMU with two years of college successfully under her belt. During that summer, she had been living at home with her mom since there was no school. At that time, Zakara was 22 years old and her best friend Rhonda Ellis Tinsley was about to turn 21. So the two girls planned a birthday trip to celebrate the upcoming birthday. They decided to take a road trip with Rhonda's boyfriend, Michael Dukes, and head to Maryland to celebrate with another one of their friends named Aiden Fair, who lived in Hanover, Maryland. So just to recap, because there's like a lot of names I spoke, we have Zakara's best friend, Rhonda, Rhonda's boyfriend, Michael, and a mutual friend named Aiden, who lives in Maryland. According to her mom, Zakara was so excited about this trip and couldn't wait to spend time with her friends and go on a little adventure before school started back up. On July 3rd, 2002, the three friends, Zakara, Rhonda, and Michael, piled in the car, waved their loved ones goodbye, and hit the road for Maryland. They would be staying at Aiden's family lake house for the week that they were on vacation. Jolanda was happy her daughter was going to spend time with her friends, but did ask Zakara to keep her location turned on throughout the trip for safety purposes. I do that with my daughter now, and she's 13, um, on her iPhone. So I totally get it, and Zakara was... 100% on board with that. Everything was going great with the trip. The trio arrived safely to the lake house the next day on July 4th. Everyone seemed to settle in nicely and appeared to be having a great time. Zakara did multiple check-ins with her mom so she knew she was safe and as promised, kept her location on so her mom would always know where she was. On Thursday, July 7th, Jolanda was working her 5 p.m. to 1 a.m. shift at work. During her shift, around 10.30 p.m., she checked on Sakara's location and noticed that her daughter was at a bowling alley. Seeing she was safe, she went back to work to finish out her shift. However, when her shift ended at 1 a.m., she checked one more time and noticed that her location had been turned off. For the first time during this trip, she was unable to see her daughter's location. While Jolanda did find this odd, she ultimately concluded that it was likely a perfectly good reason the location had been turned off and assumed Sakara would call her in the morning to explain. So Jolanda drove home after work and went to sleep without contacting her daughter. Around 7 a.m. on July 8th that morning, Jolanda woke up and checked the phone again. She noticed that Zakara's location was still turned off and there was no messages or missed calls from her daughter. Jolanda was getting more concerned, but again, told herself there was probably an explanation and there was no need to panic. I would be in full panic mode at this point, but that's just my personality. While Jolanda was waiting for her daughter to call with an explanation, another call came in. Jolanda's friend, Lakeisha Cole, was on the line and told her that Aiden's mom was trying to get a hold of her because something was happening with the kids. Jolanda asked Lakeisha, quote, what is going on with the kids? 
End quote. Lakeisha said she had no information or details to pass along other than Aiden's mom needed to speak with her. At this point, Jolanda was no longer calm and she immediately called Aiden's mom. Aiden's mom immediately seemed very nervous to speak with Jolanda, so she three-way called Michael's mom, Tracy, so they could all be in on the conversation. This already sounds super odd and like a million red flags are going up. From the time Tracy got on the phone, she was sobbing and unable to talk very much. At that point, Jolanda knew something was super wrong. Jolanda kept asking, quote, what is going on with the kids, end quote. And she received no reply, no information from either of the women. She was completely panicked because she wasn't getting a response and there was like no communication. So Jolanda finally point blank asked, quote, is my child dead, end quote. And both moms instantly hung up. What in the actual fuck? is happening in my opinion. Like, what the hell? So Jolanda said at that point, quote, I started calling my family going crazy because I didn't know what to do. I'm outside frantic and just didn't know what to do or what was going on, end quote. I can't imagine how scary it would be to be in a different state away from your daughter, knowing something bad probably happened, but you're not able to get any information. And it's weird because Aiden's mom reached out to Jolanda's friend, then refused to say anything. It's just very, very strange how this all started, in my opinion. After multiple attempts and unanswered calls, Jolanda finally got everyone back on the phone, including her daughter's friend, Aiden. When she asked Aiden where they all were last night, Aiden said he didn't go with Zakara, Michael, or Rhonda, and instead stayed home. This confused Jolanda because those three had literally driven thousands of miles to celebrate and hang out with Aiden specifically. So for him to not participate, it seemed a little odd to Jolanda. After speaking to Aiden, Jolanda finally got some information from his mom. She told Jolanda that Zakara had been driving drunk that night before they hit a tree and she died in a car crash. That's like the worst way to find out that your child died. Just a random phone call from somebody you don't even know. She was also told that everyone else in the car had survived. But Tracy, who is Michael's mom, told Jolanda that he did have some serious injuries during the crash. She said that Michael had a broken hip, broken leg, fractured skull, two collapsed lungs, and had to undergo open heart surgery. Pretty fucking serious and life-threatening injuries, right? Jolanda thought so too, until she heard Michael calling her name in the background of this phone call and asking to see Jolanda face-to-face on the phone. Jolanda said, quote, my antennas went up when I heard him calling my name in the background and asking to see me face to face because his mom said he had open heart surgery and two collapsed lungs. So how can he talk so fast? End quote. If I were Jolanda, I'd be suspicious too. I'm not a medical professional, but in my opinion, I'm pretty sure that if you're someone who sustained that many injuries, you'd be in the hospital for at least a couple of days. Again, just my opinion. I mean, he supposedly had open heart surgery and two collapsed lungs, yet he's able to yell and yell coherently while sitting at home mere hours after this supposed surgery. Like, it just doesn't make any sense at all to me. Jolanda knew something wasn't right and that the information she was getting just wasn't adding up. Quote, they were lying about what happened to my daughter. I'm trying to understand how my daughter is the only one that did not make it, end quote. 
Michael told her that the accident happened in the woods with no houses around, so they were unable to get help after the crash. He said that Rhonda had been asleep before the crash and that after the crash, he was only able to save an unconscious Rhonda from the car, but not Zakira. Sounds heroic and all, but Jolanda wasn't buying it because she was thinking the same thing you're all probably thinking right now. How does a person with a broken hip, broken leg, fractured skull, two collapsed lungs, and a heart in bad enough shape that they need open heart surgery pull someone from a car? Again, something seems totally off right here. Things got even worse and more suspicious when Jolanda later spoke to Rhonda to get her side of the story. Rhonda told her that all she remembers was laughing in the car and the next thing she knew, she was in the hospital. This raised even more alarm bells for Jolanda because according to Michael, Rhonda was asleep. Yet according to Rhonda, she was laughing right before the crash. So it seems like the stories just aren't matching. Several days later on Monday, July 15th, 2022, Jolanda still had no answers and headed to Maryland to see her daughter's body and to try to figure out what happened. During a meeting with the Maryland medical examiner, Jolanda was told that she could not view her daughter's body, saying that it was against guidelines. I don't know what guidelines those are. I didn't look them up, but also sounds weird to me. However, she did learn that according to official reports, the car had engulfed in flames trapping Zakara inside. It also said that neither Michael or Rhonda tried to get her out and instead got themselves out. Jolanda said, open quote, I lost it. I didn't know what to do or what to say because they hadn't told me that the car had caught on fire, end quote. Due to the fire, she also learned that Zakara's body was burned so badly she was unrecognizable and had to be identified by her dental records. Still, these records were unconfirmed, so Jolanda wasn't sure how they used them for a positive identification. While in Maryland, Jolanda drove to the crash site to stand in the place her daughter lost her life. It's unclear if authorities and the others involved were willing to tell Jolanda where the crash happened because she found the address by reading about the story in a local paper. Again, I don't know if people were unwilling to give her that info or she just didn't ask, but it just seems odd she had to find the location of her daughter's death by going through a local paper. Anyways, she arrived at the address that was in the paper, and much to her surprise, the location was nothing like Michael had told her. He had claimed the crash was in the middle of nowhere, with no houses around, so they were unable to get help after the crash. So you can imagine Jolanda's surprise when she pulls up to the address, and the tree that was hit is literally in someone's yard with a house next door. And not just that, they were surrounded by homes with no middle of nowhere in sight. This infuriated Jolanda, and she said, if they were in someone's yard, then why didn't they run to the person's house and get help? I'm just like, ain't no way this is where this happened at. But it was. It was the correct place, end quote. Well, at the crash site, Jolanda wanted to place a photo of her daughter near the tree in order to honor her. She was placing the picture when a woman stepped out of the house and came over to speak to her. Jolanda quickly explained that her daughter had been killed in a car accident that took place here and that she wanted to place a photo to honor her. The woman who lived on this property told Jolanda that a man had come by with children the day after the accident and was crying beside the tree. This woman's husband had come out to talk to this man and was told that this man's son had been killed in a fire there. 
This man came out a second time telling the homeowners again that his son was killed in the fire and that his other son was in critical condition and that one girl walked away. Jolanda couldn't believe what she was hearing. Quote, I said, what? End quote. The woman reiterated that the man did indeed come out and tell them that his son had died in the fire and that there was no mention of Zakara. Seriously, this is like so weird, like really weird. Like I, and it gets a little bit weirder. At this point, Jolanda said she felt everything was staged and planned, that something more sinister had happened because stuff was not adding up. In an attempt to have some sort of closure and answer, she went back to the medical examiner to identify and retrieve her daughter's body. However, this time she was told that the body would have to be cremated before it could be released to the funeral home. Jolanda said, quote, I wanted my daughter's body shipped home, but they didn't give me that choice. They would not release my daughter's body to the funeral home until I signed cremation paperwork, end quote. Eventually, heartbroken, confused, and desperately wanting to lay her daughter to rest, Jolanda ended up signing off on the paperwork to have her daughter cremated, never being able to view her body or say goodbye. Something to keep in mind is that this cremation would essentially wipe away any evidence that might have been found on the body, destroying potential answers. Jolanda eventually got her hands on the autopsy reports, and things definitely got more interesting. The autopsy report revealed that Zakara was in the back seat of the car, not driving. Remember, Jolanda had been told that Zakara had been driving drunk and crashed the car into the tree, essentially making her responsible for the crash and her own death. But with this report, it appears Zakara wasn't driving at all. Now, they had been in Zakara's car, but if she had been drinking, someone else could have been the drunk driver and been behind the wheel. That wouldn't be hard to fathom at all. Again, this is just something else that was very fishy about this case, since what Jolanda was being told from the people involved is very different than what she's finding out later. Something else that was determined was that Jolanda had no weed in her system and had alcohol but the amount was unspecified. This seemed odd to Jolanda because she knew her daughter usually smoked weed but didn't really like alcohol. This didn't seem right to her at all. The report also said that the body found inside the car was 88 pounds, three feet, three inches tall. However, Zakara weighed 169 pounds and was five feet, four inches tall. Now, in the postmortem examination report, both Zakara's forearms and lower legs were amputated in the car, and the body had suffered severe burns. So one could theorize that perhaps the body had been measured and weighed without the amputation, making it smaller than her normal height. That could make sense until we find out that Jolanda was shown a picture of what was supposedly her daughter's body, and that photo clearly showed that body having legs. They were definitely attached to her body. So the Emmy is saying that Zakara's body was severely amputated, yet the photo that was being shown to her mom showed a body with its limbs attached. And remember, Jolanda wasn't allowed to even view the body with her own eyes. And the body wouldn't be released without being cremated. It's just like not making any sense in my opinion. Now, at that point, Jolanda wasn't even sure her daughter died in the crash. Can you even imagine? Jolanda said, quote, I don't feel like she's gone. I don't know if I'm holding on to hope. I don't feel it. I never felt it, but I thought I was crazy. I thought I just didn't want to let go. But the more I'm seeing all of these different reports and more of these people come out with information, it's just not adding up. 
I wanted to know why the photo she showed me contradicted her report. At this point, I'm like, is this my daughter? Is she even dead? End quote. Jolanda also finds it odd that there was supposedly no 911 call, yet somehow police, fire, and EMS got to the scene. Jolanda wonders, quote, who called 911? Because I was told there was no 911 call. Where is the 911 call? End quote. Not only were things not adding up with reports and missing 911 calls, but Jolanda ended up learning a little bit more about that mysterious man who visited the crash site, claiming he lost two sons in the crash. Come to find out, this man lived on a farm there in the area and was actually Aiden's father. Yes, the same Aiden the friends had visited and whose father supposedly owned the lake house they were all staying at. There really isn't any further information about this man or that encounter, but the homeowners swear he came twice, claiming he had lost his son there in that crash and the other was recovering in the hospital. Something else to remember is that Aiden supposedly stayed home the night of this crash. So there would have been two girls in the car and only one boy, Michael. Now Aiden's father claims there were two boys and one girl and she walked away. There was never a mention of Zakara being in the car or being killed. Police didn't feel there was any evidence to warrant an investigation. And at the one year mark of the accident, all evidence was destroyed, making it almost impossible for Jolanda to ever really know what happened the night her daughter died. That hasn't stopped people online from sharing their theories on the case in hopes of getting some answers for Jolanda. While some theorize that Zakara's friends likely killed her at a different location and crashed the car as a cover-up, others think that someone else was driving drunk and they all decided to blame Zakara to avoid manslaughter charges. The dead don't talk, as they say. Others, however, say that there could be a perfectly rational reason for some of the discrepancies in the case. For example, maybe the M.E. pushed for cremation because the body was so severely damaged they didn't want to traumatize Jolanda. Transporting a body to other states is also pretty expensive, so maybe they were trying to save Jolanda from a high transfer cost. They say that since Zakara was found in the back seat, perhaps she crawled back there or was thrown back there after impact, trying to avoid the fire. Another thing that's super weird is, why did the moms hang up on Jolanda when she was trying to get info? They say that It could be hard to give such devastating news and perhaps they just couldn't find the words. If this was truly an accident, why can't they just say it was an accident? Why all the lies? No matter what anyone believes, there are still some obvious weird things in this case. Besides all the obvious things, I wonder why Jolanda's random friend was notified about the kids before Jolanda. Why didn't they just call Jolanda? It just seems all these little things don't make any sense and aren't adding up to me. While researching, I watched a video that said Michael Dukes was charged with being the driver of the car. I searched and I searched on the internet for more information. I couldn't find much about this. I couldn't find much about an arrest or any court proceedings. All I found was that he was arrested for being a driver. If I find anything more, I will update. At this point, it's hard to know if Jolanda's suspicions that her daughter might still be alive are true or if she really did die in the crash. Sometimes hope and grief do make us see things that aren't really there, but I also never doubt a mother's intuition. And with the holes in this case, it isn't too big of a stretch to believe that Zakara could still be out there somewhere. In the comments, let me know your thoughts, your theories, opinions on the case. Please hit the subscribe button on YouTube or whatever podcast platform you're listening on. 
You can stay connected with me on Instagram and TikTok at this is Stephanie Moram. You can share your case suggestions with me by email, def at stephaniemoram.co or simply send me a DM. Thank you so much for listening to Zakara Kemp's story. Until next time, stay safe out there.